Hello and welcome. This is JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with us today. In our Bible study, we are studying the book of Luke. This is one of the four Gospels, and this one was written by Luke. In our study from last time, we were being introduced to the announcement of two births. The first one of John the Baptist, and then we will get into the announcement of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 1, verse 16, and let's get started. Verse 16 is going to be in the middle of a conversation that we've kind of already read over, where the angel Gabriel is announcing to Zacharias, who is the one of the priests, that he's going to bear, or his wife's going to bear a son. And he's giving him instructions on about that son. And we pick that up where Gabriel is talking to Zechariah about his son-to-be, John. So verse 16, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. An angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I'm going to stop right there for a moment, and let's visit about verse 16. We'll take a look at verses 16 and 17 together. The Old Testament prophets were repeatedly concerned with turning, with turning the erring people back to God. In this work, none was more prominent than Elijah on Mount Carmel. Luke does not identify John as a reincarnated Elijah, but qualifies his statement with the words, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to children probably means that when those who disobey heed wisdom and turn to the Lord, their Jewish ancestors would, if they knew of it, be pleased with them. In their Old Testament context, the words turn the hearts relate to averting divine wrath, a concept certainly basic in the ministry of John. People, the word people is a significant word in Luke and usually refers to Israel as the elect nation of God. This suggestion accords with Luke's interest in Jewish origins of Christianity. The people prepared for the Lord ultimately includes, however, 
not only these initial Jewish heroes, but also the Gentiles. Now in verses 18 through 20, that we will look at here together, Zechariah's question in verse 18 seems innocent, but verse 20 reveals that it was asked in doubt. Now this will be in contrast to Mary's question of how can this be that we will see later in verse 34, because her question will arise from faith. She was simply inquiring as to the way God would work. But here, Zechariah questioned the truth of the revelation by saying, how shall I know this? Or how can I be sure of this? Which this indicates that he apparently was requesting a sign. We are told that Zechariah was devout and that the gospel requires a response of faith. So Zechariah, of all people, should have believed without question. After all, he was a priest. The narrative explains Solomonly by mentioning that Gabriel stood in the presence of God. The good news will come to fulfillment in spite of human unbelief, but Zechariah must nevertheless bear the sign of doubt by becoming mute for a period of time. So whether you want to believe or not what God says, it's going to happen, okay? And so since Zechariah doubted, he's going to have to pay the penalty for that doubt. Now I want to take a quick side note here and mention a little bit about Gabriel. Now Gabriel, his name means strong man of God or God is great. He's an archangel who acts as the heavenly messenger of God. Gabriel appears four times in the Bible, and each time brings to humans a message from the Lord. All appearances of Gabriel recorded in the Bible are all connected with the promise of the about and the coming of the Messiah. And one passage may link Gabriel with the return of Christ. Now, in Christian tradition, Gabriel is sometimes identified as the archangel whose voice is heard at the second coming of Christ. Now, twice he appeared to Daniel in the Bible. He appears here to Zechariah. And later in this chapter, in a few verses here, we'll see that he appears to Mary, to announce the birth of Jesus. So now getting back into verses 21 and 22. The element of suspense during the unusually long prayer time contributes to the vividness of Luke's narrative. The worshipers who had been praying outside now understood without anyone telling them Zechariah had seen a vision. So now coming to verses 23 through 25, as with the announcement to Mary, the word concerning Zechariah and Elizabeth's promised son was given before his conception. It's characteristic of Luke to mention Elizabeth's grateful acknowledgement of the Lord's grace in removing the stigma of her childness. There, the stigma in ancient biblical times was women were looked down upon if they did not bear children. 
those who couldn't bear children were looked down upon. So that's the stigma that she's talking to because she never had a child because she was barren. Now in the following verses, they're going to enlighten us about the word, the birth of Jesus foretold. Christ's birth is going to be announced to Mary. This is also called the Annunciation. Now Luke continues in the same style in which he has described Zachariah's encounter with the angel of the Lord Gabriel. The account of Jesus's nativity rests theologically on the angel Gabriel's announcement with the Old Testament sacred history. Now the word nativity, it comes from the Latin word natal, which means birth. It's the occasion of a person's birth. And in this case, it is the birth of Christ. That's how we get the nativity. Now quickly, I want to mention that Jesus, the Messiah, was born into David's family. It had been a thousand years since the time of David, and there had come to be thousands of families of the Davidic descent. Now, God, in choosing the one family through whom his son should come into the world, bypassed the ruling families around Jerusalem and instead went to a humble woman from a lowly home in an obscure village in the distant hills of Galilee. Now, think about this for a second. What a woman Mary must have been to be chosen by God to impart and to mold the human nature of his son. And how her heart must have thrilled at the angelic message that she was to be the mother of the divine king of the ages. Food for thought. Now, several themes are entwined in these passages. The first one will be the divine sonship of Jesus. The second will be his messianic role and reign over the kingdom. The third one will be God is the most high. Fourthly, the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally and fifthly is the grace of God. Now, before I get going a little further, another side note. I want to pause and give some information about Nazareth. This is going to be the setting for the announcement of Christ's birth to Mary. The name Nazareth means branch. And Nazareth was never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's located in Lower Galilee. It's about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. The hills of Nazareth formed a natural basin of three sides, and it opened up to the south. Agriculture was the major economic activity. Nazareth was a small village in Jesus' day, and it only had one spring to supply fresh water to all the inhabitants there. Incidentally, the, today the spring is referred to as Mary's Well. Interesting side note. Now, Nazareth lay close to the important trade routes of Palestine, but since it was in a natural basin, it was somewhat secluded and isolated from the nearby traffic, and it was considered not an important part of the national and religious life of Israel. Now, this coupled with a rather bad reputation in morals 
and religion and a certain crudeness in the Galilean dialect led Nathaniel, when he first learned of Jesus in Nazareth, to ask if anything good could come out of Nazareth. But Nazareth is where Jesus grew up and where Jesus spent his childhood. So just a little background there of Nazareth. It always helps us to understand the story as we read these other gold nuggets. But anyway, finally in verse 26, we see that the mention of Elizabeth's sixth month established a link between Jesus and the prophet John the Baptist, or he will be the Baptist. Now, Nazareth's insignificant size contrasts with Jerusalem, where Gabriel previously had an appearance when he gave the information to Zechariah. There was a negative opinion by Judeans about Nazareth. And of course, the region of Galilee contrasts with Judea. Uh, they're surrounded by Gentiles. The Galileans were not necessarily irreligious, but many were somewhat relaxed regarding strict Jewish traditions, and that didn't set well with some of the Judeans. So arriving at verse 27, we see the young Virgin Mary. She's contrasted with the old priest Zechariah, who was past the time for having children. The word virgin refers here to one who had not yet had sexual relations. Now, since betrothal often took place soon after, soon after puberty, uh, Mary had, may have just entered her teens. The relationship was legally binding, but intercourse was not permitted until actual marriage. And only divorce or death could sever a betrothal, same way with marriage. Now, Luke calls Joseph a descendant of David. Now, even though the gene genealogy that we will discuss in chapter 3 is often taken as showing Mary's line, this is never stated as such. Uh, we should probably assume that Luke considers Jesus a legitimate member of the royal line by what we today might call the right of adoption. Now, this is important bearing on the promise that we will see in verse 32. In verse 28, Luke establishes another contrast with the preceding narrative. For Zechariah had received no such greeting as Mary did. Mary received the greeting as highly favored because she is the recipient of God's grace. Now, Mary has found favor with God, and she can therefore say, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The Lord is with you recalls the way the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, addressed Gideon to assure him of God's help in the assignment he was about to receive. So looking at verses 29 and 30, Zechariah had been gripped with fear at the very appearance of the angel, but it was the angel Gabriel's greeting that greatly troubled Mary. Now, Gabriel responded first by assuring Mary that she had indeed found favor with God. Now, God's grace, like his love, will banish all fear of his presence. So in verses 32 and 33, we find the striking term of the Son of the Highest, or Most High, which leads to a clear messianic affirmation, the reference to the eternal throne and kingdom of David. Jesus' divine sonship 
is thus linked to his Messiahship, which was is in accordance with 2 Samuel and also Psalm chapter 2. So in other words, Luke sees the Messianic vocation as a function of God's Son rather than seeing sonship as just an aspect of Messiahship. And unlike Zechariah, Mary does not ask for a confirmation. She doesn't ask for a sign, but only asks for light, only asks on how God will accomplish this wonder. She's not doubting. She's just asking, how is he going to do it? Her question doesn't relate to the remarkable person and work of her promised son, but arises from the fact that she has not had sexual relations with a man. That's her whole thinking. And as we look at verse 35, we see that once again, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit, as he does six more times in the first two chapters. And I want to stop there because we're running out of time, but we will pick up here with verse 35, and we will continue with Gabriel and Mary and even Elizabeth. So until next time, God bless each and every one of you, and keep living Christian strong.